podcast listeners. I'm Leanne Noland. And I'm Jasmine Taylor. And welcome to The Great Collide, where we explore issues at the intersection of politics and faith. I'm a pastor in the United Methodist Church, and we're facing a major split over the ordination of LGBTQ persons. Over 1,800 churches have left the denomination since 2019, the largest since Methodists split over slavery in 1844. Wow, that's interesting. So Leanne, we do have a guest on with us today that can give us a historical perspective on this great divide. Dr. Barry Bryant is an associate professor of United Methodist and Wesleyan Studies at Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary. Your alma mater, Leanne. Yes. Well, welcome, Dr. Bryant. We have uh, quite a few questions to, to throw your way. So if it's okay, we'll just dive right in. Um, we, we're looking here at a, at a current split in the United Methodist Church, but mm-hmm. over 200 years ago, there was another split. Can you, can you tell us about that? Of course, it, it happened. The, the plan of separation was drawn up in 1844, but there was actually more than one split in the 19th century. There were as many as eight or nine, and most of them occurred either over the episcopacy or the issue of slavery. Uh, unfortunately, when those left over the episcopacy, that took a lot of the abolitionists with them, weakening the abolitionist position, uh, which was really the uh, the position that John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, had originally taken. Uh, he encountered slavery when he came over to Savannah, uh, went up to Charleston, went into slave quarters, interviewed slaves. Uh, and from that point on, uh, in fact, he referred to it as the sum of all villainies. Uh, that was one of his rhetorical phrases that he used in several places. So. Um, uh, the issue of, of of slavery came to a boil uh, when uh, a bishop, a slaveholding bishop, was finally elected, uh, and it really brought uh, uh, the whole issue of slavery and abolition to a to a boiling point. So, what are there are there are there any things that are significantly the same or different? What are any differences between the current split? Well, yeah, after seeing what brought uh, uh, Methodism to split over the issue of slavery, it was the election of a slaveholding bishop. Uh, And I had been saying for a long time that Methodism would kick this can down the road, the LGBTQ issue, until somehow uh, a, a, a jurisdictional conference where bishops are elected would finally elect a gay or a lesbian bishop who was, uh, in the language of uh, the the discipline, self-avowed and practicing. And of course, uh, that occurred when uh, Karen Oliveto was uh, elected bishop, uh, and she made uh, uh, made no attempt to conceal uh, her her sexual orientation, uh, and it was triggered by that. That began a chain of events that eventually led to the called General Conference. But I I think that what happened with slavery is that it created a regionalism that was eventually institutionalized uh, because uh, uh, Methodism in America is uh, joined by jurisdictional conferences. Uh, And so the regionalism that was created by, by slavery 
was institutionalized in 1939 when the Methodist Episcopal Church, the Methodist Episcopal Church South and the Methodist Protestant Church reunited. Uh, and when it did, it drew uh, jurisdictional boundaries that basically followed the Mason-Dixon line. So that the mm -hmm. same people who were against, uh, uh, who were in favor of slavery, eventually came out against the inclusion of, of LGBTQ geographically. So that the regionalism created by slavery is the same sort of regionalism that we see over the issue of LGBTQ inclusion. Interesting. So along with that, what other long-term ramifications have we seen um, from from the split in the 19th century, what what else has come from that through Methodism? Any kind of ramifications with that? Well, I think that uh, what it did was uh, it interjected the issue of race uh, as being uh, the the core issue that has influenced Methodist uh, United Methodist history, doctrine, and polity. But the same hermeneutic that was used to defend um, slavery, the same principles of biblical interpretation are the same uh, biblical interpretation that is used to exclude LGBTQ. So uh, I've, uh, I've argued for also for a long time that it's not just a matter of what the, the Bible says. What are the principles that you use to interpret what the Bible says. Uh, and so there are people who re read the, the issue of slavery that came away with two different conclusions in the same way that there are people who read the Bible and come away with two different conclusions. Uh, and I think it finally got to the point that uh, um, that the, the two parties were no longer, especially the Global Methodist Church, because they're the ones who have have uh, uh, pretty much decided to uh, exit uh, the uh, the United Methodist Church uh, to form their own denomination. But I don't think that they're getting the kind of response that they thought they would. Because not everyone who is leaving is going with the Global Methodist Church. When a denomination splits, it, it ends the conflict that the denomination had but it also ends that discourse. So you, how does that really affect the body of Christ, would you say? There's been, in a sense, some discourse going on since 1968. Uh, and that's when the Evangelical United Brethren uh, merged with the, uh, the Methodist Church to create the United Methodist Church. Uh, and of course, that happened in 1968. And there were lots of things going on at that time. There was a civil rights movement. Uh, there was Stonewall. Uh, there was the removal of homosexuality as a pathology from the diagnostic manual for psychiatric disorders. And so that really began the, uh, the earnest dialogue that went on in the United Methodist Church, the newly formed United Methodist Church, so that uh, uh, after Stonewall, there were several United Methodist clergy who came out. Uh, and uh, spoke on the floor of General Conference. In fact, uh, one of the centers for uh, the uh, the gay and lesbian movement was uh, at uh, Rogers Park, what is now United Church, 
Uh, it was Sweden Church at the time, before that united with the UCC Church uh, to create the United Church. Uh, and so, uh, in fact, it was Gay United Methodist was the group that met there. Uh, mm -hmm. And as well as uh, there was a student newspaper that came out in support of gay and lesbian rights that uh, uh, had a difficult time uh, uh, encountered censorship and um, uh, punishment from the general church. Uh, and so there's been some discourse, uh, but uh, it's, it's uh, the, the, um, the issue has never been resolved. You know, there's, there's always been uh, some, what I call ecclesiastical disobedience, ecclesiastical civil disobedience. Uh, there were clergy who were determined to perform same-sex uh, marriages and unions, uh, and uh, there were some clergy who were uh, coming out uh, about their sexuality and being accepted by some annual conferences and bishops, uh, and uh, it just resulted in uh, um, a bit of chaos in terms of trials. Uh, that uh, that were coming up to put uh, gay clergy on trial for their their being self-avowed and practicing, but also it came about as a result of some uh, elders who performed uh, unions and uh, marriages for gay and lesbian couples. So, in terms of the the current split happening with the UMC, Dr. Bryant, what do you think are some of the benefits? That will come from this, and then on the other on the other side, what what are some things that will just be detrimental to to us moving forward? Right. Well, I think some of the good things that will come about is that uh, for one, those who decide to remain in the United Methodist Church can finally remove the exclusionary language uh, in the discipline and uh, uh, and other places so that uh, sexual orientation uh, is really not the issue. Now, because if you read, uh, read the, uh, uh, the Bible and uh, Romans, that there are two confessions that uh, a Christian makes. Uh, one is Jesus is Lord, and the other, in the language of the New Testament, is Abba Father, which is really... Uh, the expression of a deeply intimate relationship with God as creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Uh, and you can't make those confessions but by the Holy Spirit. So what it really comes down to for the uh, LGBTQ persons who clearly give testimony to those two confessions, they're, they're basically not believed. Uh, and what it comes down to and uh, for a long time, uh, one of the uh, uh, one of the one of the key components to the experience of Methodism was the testimony, being able to share what God has done in your life. And I liken it into a twelve-step program. Uh, poor recovering sinners, you know, you uh, uh, the old uh, the original template for for Methodism was. Uh, confession, uh, and uh, um, uh, testimony, what God has done in your life. And I think it's quite clear that uh, there, 
there are those in the gay and lesbian LGBTQ community who, who can give clear, unequivocal testimony to the Lordship of Christ and even have the fruit <clears throat> and the gifts to prove it. So what more do you need? That, that in my opinion, if, if they're good enough for the Holy Spirit, they're good enough for me. Uh, but uh, obviously the institutional church that is more concerned about following rules and regulations rather than creating what, uh, in the words of, uh, of uh, Osinski, who's recently come out with uh, a book that I've been using in class, Queering Wesley and Queering the Church. She makes the argument that you can read Wesley and come away with an interpretation that uh, uh, that uh, allows the inclusion of LGBTQ. Now, and that's using the hermeneutic of love. Uh, but uh, she is uh, a member of the Church of the Nazarene, not United Methodist. Uh, but we have more at stake. And if we're going to keep Wesley as a doctrinal standard in the United Methodist Church, which I certainly hope that we do, because Wesley's bigger than the Global Methodist Church and the Wesley Covenant Association. I really think that there is enough there to make an argument that uh, it's all about whether or not you're a Christian. And it's the, the witness and the testimony of the, of, uh, the Holy Spirit. You know, we don't get to decide who those folks are. Uh, but it's uh, whether or not uh, the experience of the Holy Spirit is crucial. And being able to give testimony to it has always been the Methodist way. It's always been a part of what it meant to be a Methodist. Are there any lessons that can be learned from when the church split in 1844 that could be applied to today? Yeah, um, keep your skinny ties because they'll come back <laughs> into fashion. Uh, what I mean by that <laughs> is that a lot of this, these issues are generational. Uh, there was, uh, unfortunately, a civil war that was fought over the issue of slavery. I think there's a culture war going on right now over um, LGBTQ inclusion. Uh, trans children are, are really uh, suffering terribly uh, by not getting the medical treatment, not just... Uh, the pharmaceuticals, but the psychiatric treatment and support that they need. Uh, but I also uh, think that an unintended consequence, and some people might think that this is a bad thing, with the with the exit of of uh, uh, those uh, who are sustaining the status quo and the inclusion of LGBTQ, when they leave, obviously the United Methodist Church will be smaller. And what I tell students every semester is that don't look upon this as a moment to get anxious. Look at this as a moment for creativity. Because it goes back to Genesis 1, chapter 1, where we see the Spirit hover, hovering over the face of the deep. Uh, and uh, I, I'm telling students right now, start, start imagining the United Methodist Church that you want to be. Because we're we're entering into a status or a stage of flux, uh, where uh, things are more plastic than they've been in the past, 
And so we can make some corrections and take on more of the characteristics of a movement rather than a denomination. Uh, because I think that um, uh, the one thing that uh, that Methodism has struggled with from day one is, uh, you know, we tell students that all theology is contextual. Where you stand determines what you see. And what you see is shaped by the culture and the language that you use to see and communicate what you see. Uh, and so when uh, 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 theology starts out being contextual uh, within the United Methodist Church, then it's put into a connectional space, into a connectional polity, form of church government. So that contextual theology within a connectional polity is what happens every four years when we go to general conference uh, and we see context, not just from America, but context from the Philippines, context from Russia, uh, Russian delegates. Uh, we have uh, those contexts from Africa. Uh, so that um, you know, it, it won't be long if it hasn't happened already that there will be more Christians on the continent of Africa than anywhere else in the world. So that's going to change the the centrality of where Christianity is experienced and for the theology. Uh, and so, a part of the struggle is how is going to, how is United Methodism, whatever shape it has going forward. How is it going to maintain connection without it being neo-colonial in in uh, in character? To where uh, the the central jurisdictions in the United States are telling the central conferences, and in particular the uh, uh, the United Methodists in Africa, uh, how they uh, uh, need to live and uh, 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 what their discipleship needs to look like. And I think that that's uh, that's the next big thing. Uh, and mm. what's interesting about uh, the the African bishops in particular is that recently they have pretty much told the global Methodist Church to to take a few steps back. You know that uh, yeah we largely agree with you on the issue of LGBTQ, but there are a lot of other things that they don't agree with the global Methodist Church on. Now, we, we can look back on, you know, former splits of the Methodist Church and easily say what side we would be on and, and how that would play out. What do you think people are going to say 100 years from now with this? And um, looking back, what, what are some of the, the things that they'll take note of? Two things. First of all, I think they're going to um, start looking at at ways of coming back together in the same way that the MEC and the MEC uh, South, with the exception, uh, because I think that one of the things that came about as a result of that reunion was the creation of the central jurisdiction where all the people of color were put, essentially segregating the Methodist church from 1939 to 1972 when the finally the last annual conference within the central jurisdiction was abolished. And so I think that will, and time has shown this, uh, uh, eventually the same folk that that uh, get a divorce, uh, uh, get ecclesial divorces, they, they end up uh, 
courting and remarrying one another. So I think that uh, there's uh, the the distinct possibility of of Methodism getting back together. I also think that uh, talking with a, a colleague of mine when I was teaching in Memphis, and uh, he was actually Roman Catholic. He taught uh, uh, church history, and I was talking to Brother Jeff, and he said, you know, it's really uh, a re um, a reinvention of the science religion debate that when you've got doctors lined up saying that this is not a pathology this uh, uh homosexuality is not a psychiatric disorder uh and then the treatment begins to follow that that policy uh in the same way that you would treat uh, cisgendered heterosexuals uh, and the kind of problems that they have. Uh, and I think that we're also seeing a very similar um, disorder between science and religion uh, and the way that uh, uh, science is constantly being uh, uh, scrutinized by conservative uh, uh, and uh, uh, conservative theologies and tries to uh, discredit, uh, and there's always been that, beginning with uh, uh, Copernicus, uh, and beginning with uh, the, uh, the, the, the change from, a, from a, an Earth-centered universe to a, a Sun-centered universe. Uh, but uh, we've always had these clashes with uh, science and a lot of times uh, the religious traditions have formed a way of interpreting the Bible that defends it, tries to defend it from uh, the, the, uh, uh, the discoveries of science. And I think that this is just one in the latest of a long line. So I have a question for you. You, you sit in the classrooms, you sit in a classroom with students. How do your students, what's the pulse of the students? Because we, you know, we always have students that feel one way versus the other. Do you have a great collide in your classrooms or how does that go? I haven't. I think that um, several years ago, a Garrett repositioned itself before the called General Conference uh, 2019. Uh, repositioned itself or tried to position itself as making it clear and unequivocally obvious that uh, we were um, um, a, a seminary that welcomed LGBTQ folk. Uh, and I think that uh, as a result of that, uh, those who uh, have a problem with that sort of self-select in the admissions process. Uh, every now and then, um, uh, like uh, we'll have a student who is taking the course while they're a student at another school, but they need the Methodist courses in order to be ordained. And they might be uh, 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 more conservative uh, and uh, not uh, uh, not in terms of, of uh, not accepting a full inclusion of LGBTQ. So, but uh, in my class, I have have very really, uh, I can't recall uh, a major incident. Well, Dr. Bryant, you're doing great stuff. We really appreciate you sharing all of your 
wisdom. I know we're just scratching the surface of what you you know on this topic. Um, but is there anything else you'd like to share with us before we before we wrap up today? Um, yeah, I think for United Methodists, it's uh, the opposite of faith is fear, and fear is uh, is uh, one of the the indicators of fear is anxiety. And so when we begin to get anxious, uh, especially about the future, um, uh, students uh, have been anxious about whether or not they would have a place to serve in the United Methodist Church. Uh, and Bishop Ken Carter, who is a classmate of mine when I was at Duke, came up and he talked to the students uh, in preparation for the call general conference. And he really went out of his way to say, you will have a place to serve. Uh, especially, you know, in the the United Methodist Church. Uh, so I think that that's the the, the other thing. But I I, I think that uh, the main point that I would like to re- just remind folk uh, that uh, sure it's a time of chaos and upheaval, but out of the chaos always comes creation. Uh, that it is a time for us to step back as United Methodists and reimagine the Methodism that we want going forward, uh, unencumbered by the, the, the sort of, of, uh, of uh, opposition that we've had since 1968. I mean, this issue has been debated in virtually every general conference since 1968, well, 1972, really. We came close to splitting in 1976. Uh, but uh, it was uh, uh, averted at that time. But I think it just finally came to uh, came to uh, a critical mass when Karen Alavedo was elected to the Episcopacy. So I also want to tell you, thank you. You've taught me a whole bunch as UCC, learning a little bit more about the Methodist Church. So thank you so much, Dr. Bryant. Well, you're most welcome, and thanks for having me. It's been been my pleasure. That is all of the time that we have for today. We hope that you will continue to join us for future episodes as we explore the intersection of politics and faith. And be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a review, and most importantly, tell your friends. You can also find us on social media. Go to gcbm.org for the links. The Great Collide is a production of the Greater Chicago Broadcast Ministries, a communications ministry of the Protestant, Orthodox, and Episcopal Churches of Greater Chicago in cooperation with the Council of Religious Leaders of Metropolitan Chicago. I'm Jasmine Taylor. And I'm Leanne Noland. Keep the faith. faith.